0: future we're talking real money
1: oh i think it's a good day for questions don't you i know it's a good day for questions because i looked at my inbox and it's filled with questions wow we got a lot of questions this weekend so uh today on the podcast i'm gonna go through some of the questions Either those sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com, either typewritten or spoken, or those called in to 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And we encourage your questions, however you want to bring them to us. So please do so, 855-935-TALK, or go to TalkingRealMoney.com and just hit the contact form. Let's start with one that was sent in, and the subject is ARKK and Kathy Woods. Yeah, lately been hearing a lot about Kathy Woods and her ETF. It's an innovation ETF. Here's the question. People are calling her the next Warren Buffett. Why are so many enthralled by this fund and Kathy Woods? I feel like this same thing happens over and over, yet no one learns from it. Would love to hear your thoughts on what is making Ms. Wood so popular, besides returns on her growth stocks in the last couple of years. (laughs) Well, that's what's making her so popular. That's how she's getting attention. You know, she's got good PR people, which you need to have if you're in the financial industry and you you want to... uh, build your portfolio and that's how they make money they got to build that portfolio and she has succeeded admirably in building the arc innovation etf into a hefty little fund it's got uh, 24 billion or so in assets she's getting a three quarter of one percent expense ratio which for an etf is really high That is really, really high. So, Kathy's making good money off this thing, and she's making good money. You named it. You said why. It's 100% the performance. In 2020, for the year, her return was 153%. 153%. That is has pushed her five-year average annual return to 56%. It wasn't that great prior to 2020. So what was it that happened in 2020? You can see it in the charts. You just have to look at the charts. Well, one, you have to look at her portfolio and see what the lion's share of her portfolio is. It's a small portfolio of less than 50 stocks. It's actively managed. And her biggest holding by far is Tesla. Over 10% of the portfolio was recently in Tesla. Well, if you compare those two charts, you find that her growth tracks very nicely with Tesla's. You know that in the past year, that stock has just soared, soared. I mean, $10,000 in Tesla at the beginning of 2020 became $78,000 roughly, by today, by mid-January 2021. That's a lot, and that's a lot of her success. Now, was she brilliant, or was she lucky? That we don't know. The jury is always out on that because there are, as you mentioned in your note, there are way too many instances of the best fund for a previous five-year period, turning into one of the worst performing funds, the, the, the bottom quarter, over the next five-year period, which points to luck being a bigger factor than skill. But she's getting the press right now. A lot of people are going to jump into this thing. I would highly suggest that none of you do it because this is a highly risky portfolio ridiculously risky as a matter of fact the standard deviation on this thing is 36 um, percent the standard deviation for the S&P 500 is below 20 so this is just like whoa crazy crazy nuts so be careful don't get into it really high fees um, the success it has enjoyed at least as likely that it's as, uh, attributable now I'm not even gonna say that based on previous research, far, far, far more likely that her results are attributable to luck, not skill. And these innovative stocks in which she invests, and I'll just name some of them that she's had recently. I don't know what the current portfolio looks like because everything's dated uh, back a month or so, but her number, her top four holdings making up Oh, gosh, 25%, more than 25% of the portfolio are Roku, something called Invitae, and CRISPR. Now, CRISPR, CRISPR, that's the gene-modifying company. Then Square, Slack, companies that have done really, really well in the pandemic. But how will they do tomorrow? We don't know. And she's had, by the way, she's had Square since 2016. She had CRISPR since 2018. Uh, They just happen to have a really big jump lately, in part because of what's going on in the world. Uh, Do I have long-term faith that this is going to continue? No, no, I don't. I don't. And would I pay up for that? No way. Not three-quarters of 1%. Because while it's nice to make a lot of money, it's pretty miserable to lose a lot and that's what has tended to happen to these funds in the past these hot funds and these are companies that are operating without profitability almost universally i'm looking at pe ratios on these things and very few have earnings and of those that do the price earnings multiples are wow crazy high so they have got to do well for a long time to justify their current valuations. Would I touch it? No. Thank you, though, for the note. I really appreciate it. 855-935-TALK is our phone number, and we do have a lot of calls that came in. I love your radio program, and I can't seem to find you. The last two weekends, I've checked into KOMO, and you're not there, or I, I couldn't find it. Can you let me know if you broadcast live on the weekends, anywhere else, I do receive your um, podcasts. Thank you. I don't know where we went, but I'm pretty sure that Tom and I were both there the past couple of weekends. Are you sure you have the right time? Because we're on at noon Pacific time and that's where you'll listen live on the radio, uh, noon Pacific every Saturday, 3 p.m eastern time every saturday and we're on the radio it's 97.7 7 fm or 1000 a.m make sure you've got the right dial position and you do listen to the podcast so you'll be hearing this and also you can go to talkingrealmoney.com and this is good for all of you you can go to talkingrealmoney.com scroll down the page and you'll see a button where you can listen to us pretty close to live a few second delay because of the internet uh, through tune in radio. So uh, go to talkingrealmoney.com and listen live. It works either way. It's pretty easy. Thanks for the call. And you can call us at 855-935-TALK or send your questions in at talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form. The subject of our next written question is high net worth. Is an advisor really needed? Hey guys, love the show. Appreciate what you do. The question is more out of curiosity. I hear in most financial communities that a motivated person can do indexing investing on their own to save money on hiring an advisor, except if they are high net worth. High net worth individuals are usually recommended to hire an advisor. I've heard reputable people recommend stacking Benjamins, afford anything, and I think you guys as well. Why is it that high net worth individuals can't do it on their own with the same strategies? Can't they just follow the three fund Boglehead method or the Merriman two fund for life method as well? What makes these strategies less efficient for high net worth individuals? I would think these strategies could work if you had 10K or 100 million net worth. Is it an accumulation phase versus distribution phase thing? Appreciate any insight. And no, the impetus of this question is not because I got a large windfall, although I am open to donations. Dream on. Just curious. Well, it's a good question. And it's a broad generalization when we or anyone else says it. But when you get into the the time or the situation where you have a lot of investable assets, there are some more sophisticated strategies that you can employ that actually have proven in the past to be more efficient than just a two- or a three-fund solution. We suggest that people start with a simple solution initially because individuals can't hire advisors uh, with small amounts of money generally. It's hard to get a fee-only advisor. That's going to change, but it's hard. Now, in the beginning of the accumulation phase, do pretty darn well with just a couple of funds, with any of those solutions you talked about, or our three funds. But when you get to the point where you've got more money, you're really trying to build that wealth to generate high income in that distribution phase, there are strategies, as as Paul's two fund shows you, you. He's talking about a small cap value and a target fund. But if you build a portfolio that is that overemphasizes small cap, that overemphasizes value, that uh, adds the proper amount of emerging markets, that gets you properly allocated overseas, that gets you properly allocated into real estate, uh, th- that that really does put all these in the right places, and then hold your feet to the fire. This is where it gets tough. People won't rebalance left to their own devices most of the time, particularly not a portfolio that has a lot of moving pieces. So that's where it gets into really making an advisor valuable in that they don't let you drift off, they don't let your portfolio get out of whack, they keep you doing what you need to do, plus they tend to have expertise in taxation issues, and as you get more money... Taxes matter more. When you're just getting started and you're in the mm -mm nothing bracket, you don't need tax strategies. You just want to make as much money as possible. But when you get up into the 30 plus brackets, you need tax strategies. You need portfolios that are managed to reduce taxation. You also need somebody who has some expertise now in estate planning and and handing that wealth off to another generation or setting up charitable trusts or whatever it might be in conjunction with a good attorney, in conjunction with your accountant. So that's really why the generalization, that it – you're getting to the point where one, you can afford it. And two, where the services an advisor provides are not just about adding to your return, but are about improving your life. You're, you're using them the same way you use any hired help to make your life easier and better down the road. So that's the straight answer. No. Can they do it on their own? (laughs) Yeah, of course they can. Will they get the same bang as somebody who has an advisor? Well, the evidence says no. So that's what I'm going to lean toward. Take a look at the Vanguard Advisor Alpha Study. That's going to give you a pretty decent idea what we're talking about. Thanks for the note. Next one. uh, Also sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com, digital dollar. The question, I read that Congress may pass a bill where the Fed controls all our money and it goes to a digital dollar account. True or not? (laughs) Well, okay. As far as it goes. There is talk about going with digital dollars because, seriously, paper dollars are practically obsolete. I went to get gas today. I opened the Exxon ExxonMobil app on my iPhone. I punched in the pump number. I clicked on Apple Pay, and my transaction was authorized. And I filled my tank up, and I got points from Apple, and I got points from ExxonMobil. Yeah, does everybody know about my transaction now, if they want? Does the government know if they want? Yeah, they do. But if I bank, they know. Uh, The only argument I've ever heard for paper dollars is the same spurious one for Bitcoin. Well, it's anonymous. And I get the privacy concerns, because I like my privacy as well as the next person, but why do I care all that much? I prefer the convenience to taking dollars out of my wallet, walking into the store, waiting in line and saying, uh, $20 on pump 15 when I really needed $30. I because I don't know how much I need to fill it up. Yeah, we're going to get digital dollars someday, probably based on blockchain, and it'll probably be sooner than you think. But we'll still have paper dollars out there too for a very long time. And then the question goes on, is gold a better investment to hedge against this? What kind? Bullion or coins? What are you hedging against? Really, what are you hedging against? We live and have lived for eh, about 8,000 years in a society of governments with laws and taxes. And in exchange, we get roads and armies surrounding us and protecting us. Uh, yeah, they can be a little annoying at times, but what do you want? What's the alternative you want? I just don't get all of this concern about the government. I don't care where you go on the planet. You're going to have a government unless you go up in the mountains all by your lonesome. Is that what you want? Like everybody dead in anarchy? Cause that's the feeling I get. No, quit worrying. <laughs> just stop. As we still have a lot of questions, let's get just a couple more written ones in real quickly because we've got more of those than of the called-in ones and try to catch up on more tomorrow, too, on the podcast. Uh, This one is about Fidelity Small Cap, which one to invest in and why. Hi, Tom and Don would like to invest in Fidelity Small Cap Fund. Which one? F-S-S-N-X, which is Fidelity Small Cap Index Fund, or F-I-S-V-X, the Fidelity Small Cap Value Index Fund? Thank you. If you are trying to add small cap to your portfolio to boost your return, as in Paul Merriman's two-fund solution where you use a target date fund and a small cap fund, he and I both agree you should get the biggest bang for the buck with the small cap value index because the evidence points to past outperformance of both value stocks and small company stocks. So if you get small cap value, you get a potentially bigger bang for your buck if you're just gonna get one fund. So if you were just gonna get one fund and you understand just how crazy volatile this kind of a fund can be and it's only for a small portion of your portfolio to help enhance your long-term return and you're gonna be super califragilistic patient with it, then go for the small cap value index. Thanks for the note. All right. Here's the last one for today. This was sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. Hi, Tom and Don. I'm a DIY investor and have around $2.7 million net worth till now, no debt or mortgage. I save extensively in VTSAX, which is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, VSIAX, which is the Vanguard... Uh, small Value Index Fund and VTIAX, which is the Total International Fund, in my Vanguard brokerage account. VSGLX, which I think he's got the symbol wrong, but it's I think he's got Vanguard Small Growth Index in my backdoor Roth account. Target date, 2065, and Small Cap Value DFA in our Roth 401k and HSA accounts. I just keep putting money in every month, every now and again in the brokerage accounts, and we are not spenders, but savers. Feel I have done everything right, but sometimes feel and question myself if I'm on the right track and not setting myself up for mediocre returns based on the index funds I'm invested in. You guys repeat yourselves again and again, but still need reassurance everything will be fine. I am a long-term buy-and-holder, Not having emerging markets and large cap value in portfolio is how much of a loss? Well, will start with that question. Not a lot, uh, particularly not with large cap value. You've got small value. You've got small growth. You've got large value in those other portfolios because they're blend. You don't really need it all that much. I think you should have an emerging markets fund. I do think it helps. I think it adds additional potential return, and it gives you uh, some offset for your volatility because they don't emerging markets don't move in lockstep with the rest of the planet all the time. Uh, next question is, do you need any sector ETFs? No, absolutely not. Is the Ohio 529 as good as the Utah 529? I have to tell you, I have never looked at the Ohio 529, but if it has Vanguard funds and or DFA funds with similar costs, then sure. Um, How bad is it not to rebalance? I don't have any bonds in my portfolio. Is there any data to indicate that portfolios that are rebalanced regularly have better returns in the long run than that that are not rebalanced at all or vice versa. There isn't data that shows that uh, rebalancing improves returns. What rebalancing tends to do, though, is reduce volatility and enables you to do something that few people are very good at doing, and that is buying high and selling low selling stocks after they've won for a while and buying into those that we are pretty confident will probably continue to do well at some point in the future, just aren't doing that right now. So rebalancing does that for you, and we think that is incredibly, incredibly important. Finally, your other question is, what if everyone invests only in index funds and the market is an index fund 100%? Will it be catastrophic? Catastrophic? Absolutely not. Will it reduce returns overall? Would it? Yes. Do I expect it will ever happen? (laughs) Uh, Not in my lifetime. Probably not in yours either, because you will never eliminate greed. You just won't. There will always be people who think they can beat the market and those who panic when the market frightens them. And that's what index funds do. They take advantage of people's speculative nature. And it's just like casinos. Who makes more money in aggregate, the gamblers or the casino owners? The casino owners. If everyone stopped going to casinos because they knew they were net losers would the casino stop working as a way to make money absolutely would but do you ever think that will happen really no no i i cannot in my wildest dreams imagine humanity evolving that much in anything short of thousands of years at which point who knows what we'll be investing in thank you for your question and i want to thank all of you for your questions and if you want to learn more about a lot of the things we talk about—investing, generating income, and more—all these things that are important to know about retirement, Medicare, Social Security, long-term care—and hear for some, hear from some really great experts like Paul Merriman, about whom we've talked a lot, uh, David Booth, the founder of Dimensional Funds—we got all of these folks and many, many more coming up at our virtual retire meat America, 2021 on February 20th. And the best part of all anybody can watch it anywhere, be a part of it from anywhere. You'll be able to ask questions, but the best, best, best part of all is that because we're forcing you to make your own sandwich, admission is free. All you need to do is go to retiremeat.com and you can spell meat either way. It works and sign up. So if you think meat is spelled M E A T because you're hungry, Sure, fine. Type in "retire meat like in an animal. Uh, either way, it works. And sign up, and I'll see you February 20th at retire Meat. In the meantime, please, please, please tell your friends about the podcast because the more the better, and not everybody's going to become an index investor. And if you like what you hear or if you hate what you hear, either way, leave a review at uh, Apple Podcasts. We appreciate those a lot. Thanks for listening to Talking Real Money. I'm Don McDonald.
0: Talking Real Money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times